welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Mike Rasnick for the VR Nature documentary game called Away. I spoke with Mike a few years ago on Top Score about his music for the steampunk side-scroller called Spate. He and I also talk in this episode about a fabulous score that he wrote for a game that never got released. That game is called Infinite. You'll hear more from Mike in a bit. Some important announcements, though, quick. And these are, I love these announcements. These are great announcements. There is brand new content coming for patrons only. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the episode. And we have a new website. Yes, how amazing is that? Monumental thanks to patrons Brad Gentle and Matt Selvage for working on that, setting it up, curating it, and basically streamlining a bunch of stuff and making a great website for us. It's levelwithemily.com. <laughs> How great is that? I love it. Levelwithemily.com. So new content for patrons and a new website. Very exciting stuff. Speaking of patrons, our patron of the week is Matt Ellert. Matt grew up playing Commodore and Amiga, and his list reflects that lifestyle, if you will. We talked about the music from the Nightmare Table in the Amiga game Pinball Dreams by composer Olaf Gustafsson, and we started with the load music from Sanction for the Commodore 64 by Rob Hubbard. We got an old Commodore from a friend of ours who sold it to my parents for like dirt cheap because he upgraded to a, to a Commodore 128 at the time. Oh, and then eventually nice. we got that Commodore 128. So I had that Commodore in my room and I think I was like five years old. So that's kind of where I learned wow. to program and everything as well. Sanction loader tune was something I would sometimes put on just to, like, I would just put that on and let that loop. Because, I mean, loading an old Commodore game took sometimes 15 minutes, wow. especially if you're using off the tape deck, because okay. it was literally a cassette that you would plug in if you had the cassette version. Mm-hmm. So it would take 15 minutes to load all of the information into the system. And then wow. eventually they started putting on, like, loader tunes and things like that. And, and that Sanction one is like one of the coolest loader tunes I've like ever heard. And I realized that uh, the music from that style of game, like just like the, the Commodore and the Sega and stuff like that, like that's really ended up informing like my music, how I, what I like in real life. Really? Like later on in life. Yeah. Yeah, because I really like that grit and like dirty sound <laughs> and the low fineness sure. that came with that stuff, with, the, with that. And uh, the NES and the Super Nintendo didn't really have the same feel. And so I always really liked that dirtier, nasty sound that came with them in general. So with Sanction, that music you would only hear it while it was loading and then you wouldn't hear it again. Yeah, it was only on the loading screen. Oh, wow. Sometimes you would just go, well, the game loaded. I want to hear that again. So you would remove it from the memory and just reload it back in if you want to listen to it again. (laughs) Wow. 
So the other, the, all the tracks, obviously, that you sent were very cool. Um, Pinball Dreams from uh, Amiga 500. That would be the, the Nightmare Table. Yes. So explain what that means and then tell me a little bit about the tune. There were like four different tables that were on that on that game. So each one had its own uh, music that went with it. But the Nightmare Table, it kind of had like, it felt like four different songs in that actually one song. The one that really seemed to actually fit the table, though, because, you know, it's supposed to be graveyard type of theme and everything like that. There's a part like it kind of does a basically a breakdown where then it does like some talking and is like laughing and like ha 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 and church bell sounding. And then it sounds more spooky than the other stuff. Because the other stuff still sounds kind of, you know, your kind of your basic EDM style type of music in general, but a little slower than what's now and things like that. But mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it was really cool, and it was just something. I was like, that really fit really well with the feel of the table, and I've always loved pinball as well. bunch of computer pinball i played a bunch of regular pinball and it just fit really well and it was something i always kind of remembered in my head like that part of that to that table as long as you were good enough to get far enough into it before putting the switch <laughs> over to it things that I noticed also about your list is that there were arcade games on there. And I honestly can't recall, and forgive me past patrons of the week if this was the case for you, but I can't recall too many that have included music from an arcade game. Yeah, that's that's why I included a pinball table and an arcade machine. And I wanted to include some things that you just, you haven't had like a lot of things on the actual show. Sure. You actually don't get a ton of more of that European influence or like actual arcade hardware boards type of thing that, that they were putting out. So it was more based off of the chipsets that were in those boards were specific. So they had different, they, they can make different sounds than what you could do from, you know, a, a system that, that you had in your house. That's what amazes me so much about the Rob Hubbard track and some of the rest of the music that I've listened to as a result of your suggestion is just how versatile he was able to make his music with that machine. Yeah, uh, the Sid Chip could make some fantastic music from that Commodore. There's a huge variety of sound that that thing was able to produce and it, it has its own feel different than the other 8-bit sounds that were out there at the time. And, I grew up with it, so I absolutely love it. <laughs> sure, sure.
Matt's other choices were Under Logic from Streets of Rage 2 by Yuzo Koshiro. Let's Go Away from Daytona, USA by Takanobu Mitsuyoshi. Star from Katamari Damacy by Yoshihito Yano. You can become a patron of the week at patreon.com slash level. Composer Mike Raznick is working on a VR nature documentary game called Away. It's going to be episodic, and the first part comes out soon. He and I also talk about a score he wrote for a game that didn't come out, although luckily he owns the music, so that's available online. That game was going to be called Infinite. Orchestras are in both scores, both in the Nature documentary game and Infinite. Many other live musicians as well. It was fun to talk to Mike again after speaking with him a few years ago. And uh, we started off talking about the nature VR experience called Away. It's like a nature-based documentary-style game in VR. And the idea is that it will be episodic, but in this first episode, um, which is actually a teaser, you play as a bird, as a bearded vulture, and the whole idea is just to be immersed in nature, I think. And you start out on this cliff as a bird, and because it's a bearded vulture, they're known as the sort of the bone eater. They're like a large bird. You're on this in this nest, and there's just you know broken bones, and it almost feels like you're in a prehistoric world, really. Mm-hmm. And you hear the sounds of birds and cliffs and rumbling in the background. And then your partner bird sort of flies up and you start to see like, you know, who who you are really and just get a feel of being like immersed, you know, outside. And it's almost like being in an alien world. Did the fact that it was a vulture first impact the score as opposed to just scoring the environment? Did that did the, the actual animal itself have anything to do with the direction you chose? 
I think so. I think, you know, so so a big part of the game is at a certain point, pretty quickly, I mean, there's a voiceover that sounds like, you know, a nature documentary like David Attenberg, and you end up flying. And so the whole experience really is like flying over these cliffs and valleys and this, this you know, incredible you know, experience of the floor just dropping off below you. And and it's, it's like a dream. It's something I've always thought about personally is what it would be like to fly. What would it be like to, to be a bird? And, you know, even in college, you know, I took ornithology courses and you really? know, it, it was just, yeah, it was, you know, I did a degree in environmental studies and it was, you know, I've always been like interested in, you know, naturalism and birds and, and that sort of thing. So this was the first time I actually would say that, you know, suddenly I was flying and I was a bird. I could feel what that was like. And, and in the immersive world of, you know, 360 degree, like, you know, interactive VR, yeah. I mean, you feel, I felt like I was almost going to fall over the first time I took off. I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. So, and I think that really influenced the the experience of where the music was going. And then there's a second portion of the game as well, where you're flying in a forest and sort of esca- trying to escape uh, a very uh, dangerous and precarious situation. So having said that, really, it's the idea of flight and soaring, which which kind of, you know, led the direction of where I thought the music would want to go. And the other part of that also was was just because, especially in the VR world, where you're taking so much in, in the flying experience and looking around and just experiencing what it's like to be just up in the air, I didn't want the music to get in the way of that. So, you know, I wanted to have a, just a very open feel. And it was it was really about just taking a really simple melody and harmonizing it in a very lush and beautiful way with strings and orchestral strings and even having a live orchestra perform it. And, and then with some light ear candy, really with some, you know, some light mallets and some flutes and things like that and some light strings that were just providing some locomotion below all of that. was it? In this particular instance, uh, I worked with uh, the Budapest Orchestra. Actually, um, I'd worked with them once before um, on my previous score for Spate. And they just had, because this was just like an early demo of the game, I didn't need to record that much music. So I was able to get them for a, a short amount of time. And they just were able to just jump right in and, and perform what I needed. And and then we were done. And then I'll, prob- I'll go back and maybe record with them again, maybe record with someone else. We'll see what happens on the next portion of the project and what I need. So you went there? Uh, no, 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 okay. no, not th- okay. <laughs> Actually, these days uh, it's really easy to do like a remote recording. Yeah, and you just work with a contractor to sort of figure out. They usually have dates, and you can even do shared sessions. So you can work, you know, anywhere from like a half hour session with a you know with a forty piece orchestra or a sixty piece orchestra or even a choir, or like do an hour session or in the more typical situation of doing like a four or five hour session, which is also pretty common. 
Nice. Basically, we get all the music prepared, uh, um, you know, orchestrate the pieces and get the parts ready here. Um, and then basically FTP parts up and uh, and then they are able to print them out. And the next day, you know, they'll, they'll be sitting there uh, at the desks for the players to uh, perform and record. So this is an ongoing uh, project for you then. You're still working on music for that game. Yeah, I think we're just getting ramped up, to be honest. This first portion of the game is literally like a five-minute demo, which is pretty common for virtual reality these days. I think a lot of virtual reality experiences are a lot shorter. And then, um, but the you know, but they've received funding, and we're they're already jumping in on the next episodes, and we'll be starting the next one pretty soon. Uh, and I'll be writing quite a bit more music, and I think the whole experience is going to be about thirty minutes. And then I think after that, we're going to do even another episode, which is going to be another thirty-minute experience. Oh wow! So I'm really looking forward to that. And it's going to be actually with different animals. So, you know, I'll be sort of choreographing again, choreographing the music around the movements of the animals. And, you know, for instance, if they're climbing a tree or scurrying around or running faster, you know, then it's going to be a very, very different sound with a different tempo and different instruments that I'll use for that. projects that you've been up to uh, since we spoke is a game called Infinite that sadly didn't see the light of day, but uh, your music for that is wonderful and you worked with loads of live musicians in the Prague Philharmonic, correct, for that? Yes, absolutely, Emily, yeah. yeah. It, that was an absolute pleasure and an amazing process to to work on that particular project. It was uh, it, it's always been like a dream of mine to work on a, a sci-fi game, and this was really like an emotional sci-fi uh, survival game. Um, it, it the whole premise of it was based around um, sort of an engineer and, and a technology type of person who who ended up sort of crash landing on this alien planet or moon, and he has to. Um, take the the wreckage of his ship and try to create an escape pod to to get himself off of this planet Mm. and so the whole idea of it is is suddenly you have this person who's really good with technology but you know has to live almost tribally to survive on this planet as he explores and then there will be whole other sections where he's basically going through the wreckage and just trying to you know create you know an escape means to get himself back to his life again the things I, I wanted to ask you about was just capturing that lonely feeling because it it is at times really lonely sounding music, uh, but still very pretty. The musical themes that we were really exploring for the project were based around the duality of hope and despair or loneliness, isolation. And, and so, you know, we just wanted to, to really put yourself in that position 
there's going to be times when, you know, what's going to keep you going is the idea of hope that, you know, maybe you can get off of this out of the situation. But then also certainly like the loneliness and isolation of it, of just, you know, I'm sure there's other times where you just be like, hey, you know, how is this ever going to happen? You know, what are my chances? Mm-hmm. So I think the main themes were based like around like an X, Y axis of the hope despair thing, but then the technology versus tribal thing. And so it sort of gave me a, a really neat palette to kind of work around and, uh, you know, and some parameters to kind of deal with. So, you know, and then we did a lot of listening and and these guys were, uh, the developers that I worked with were big fans of the Battlestar Galactica, um, TV soundtrack. So, so the first thing that, that I did was contact all the main musicians who worked as soloists on that particular TV show with Bear's TV show. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of all on board, which was really great. So I got to work with Paul Cartwright, who's an incredible violinist and a wonderful ethnic wind player and MB Gordy, who plays, you know, percussion. He did a lot of some really, really cool percussive stuff for me. And, and then I worked with a couple of wonderful vocalists and, uh, and some other players as well. So tried out some rare ethnic strings and African instruments and, and then even, you know, we also wanted a gritty sound with guitars in a couple of the pieces. So I did a lot of guitar work myself, but also hired a couple of guitarists to help me out as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so there was, you know, there, it, it's a big range of music, really. I mean, some of it feels really tribal. Some of it feels experimental. Some of it's like, you know, beautiful, you know, violin music with certain themes. And and then there's, like, you know, the big orchestra as well. We also worked with like a 50-piece orchestra with, mm-hmm. in Prague and did a four-hour session with them. So, um, nice. so yeah, I think there was really, it was really a lot there and it was a whole lot of fun to put together we wrote like over 70 minutes of music it was finished mixed and mastered and the whole thing about some of those ethnic instruments that you brought in. The main one that was really neat was the the Jumbush. It, it's a strange instrument. I need to find well I'll have to find a picture of it for you. I you know I went in and did these kind of experimental sessions with this uh, with with Yuval Ron is a who's a sort of an artist here in, in Los Angeles, a music artist. And and I think I spent like two or three hours with him just asking him to play effects or just make things up. <laughs> and it was one of the stranger music sessions I've ever, you know, recording sessions I've ever done with anyone. Because usually I, you know, prepare themes and prepare music. And and I just didn't really know where this was going to go. Or, or And I also didn't want to limit myself to, I don't know, not being able to be surprised with some cool ideas or things that would come out of it. And so, you know, he, he just came up with, he showed me some instruments that I'd never heard of and never seen before. And we just went into the studio and I just would sort of ask him to record things. And some of it didn't work, but there was a couple things that he did that worked really, really well. I was able to actually shape like a whole song around one of them.
was a lot of fun working with that. And then certainly working with MB Gordy and he just has like just a studio full of percussion instruments. And I would just kind of, you know, so again, some stuff, you know, I pulled out and said, these are themes that I want to record, but other stuff, you know, he would just say, let's just try this instrument and see what we can do. And and so there was a little bit of, of just taking improvisations and working with them. And then, you know, other stuff where, you know, where things were very, very much uh, planned out and, and orchestrated properly for the songs. Now, do you tend to write themes first or do you come up with some kind of uh, instrumental palette per se and then start working on themes? That's a great question. And I think it very much, I think it, it depends on the project. I think a lot of times I in, you know, in the past, I would say for like the first 10 years of my career, probably, I would sit down and, and I was really a sound-based composer where I really liked to just come up with sounds and, and really mess around with things and, and let that kind of be the inspiration for coming up with ideas for a score. I think more recently in the last couple of years, I've started to really appreciate great music themes. And it's been something that I've worked you know, pretty hard at, at, at getting better at is writing a good theme. And this particular project I did, I actually sat down at the piano and I came up with themes. I wanted to come up with a really good despair theme to feature the loneliness and what this person was going through and also a good hope theme. And then, uh, and there was a couple other themes that we worked on as well that were, that I felt were pretty strong, but yeah, this, it, it was a little different. And we decided not feature the cello so much in this one, but feature the violin as kind of a main instrument. So we recorded them with violins a couple of the themes and then the orchestra with some stuff and then I also with the vocals as well. Why did you go for violin instead of cello? I'm just curious because cello is so, so out there everywhere. And it's it great. Really, it's great, uh, you know. But. Absolutely, it's it is totally one of my favorite instruments. And uh, on some, you know, on some past soundtracks, I've featured cello a lot. I think that the development team actually had some pretty strong preferences about what they wanted to feature. And I don't exactly remember the conversation. It was a little while ago, but there was a reason that they didn't want to use the cello. And maybe it was just because of the deepness of it or the felt that they maybe they felt it was too warm or something as an instrument so you know so we tried to the, the violin instead and and as far as the violin goes you know we actually recorded classical violin but we also did some pieces with electric violin where we had a classical violin that was mic'd and sent through like a fender amp with a phaser and some other uh, cool mm-hmm. effects on it and then also i did a couple more sessions with a few other violinists that i work with and one of them was a, a baritone violin which was really interesting it's a standard violin but it's bigger and it has a sound which goes like an octave lower which ends up sitting in between uh, the range of a, of a viola and a cello. play several instruments as well and you mentioned you played some guitar so uh, what else did you do for this one 
Wow, on this particular project, hmm, I think I did just play guitar. I have a lot of instruments. You know, I'm a string player, so I have like several guitars, acoustic guitars, classical guitars, lap steel, mandolins, banjos, all kinds of stuff like that that I love to work with. But I think I kept it kind of simple. I think we were really just going for like a grungy sound with cool distortion and and some cool textures and stuff. So uh, for my part, you know, I did a lot of programming with electronic sounds and synthesizers and stuff and adding effects and, and really, you know, working with that sort of material and then working with the guitars as well. That was kind of, you know, where I stand with that. But uh, soon after I finished this project, I started investing in hardware synthesizers. So that would have been fun to kind of go back and on the next one, I'll, I'll do more of that, I think. you know, earlier in the conversation that you studied and what did you study in college? Environmental science or something? Yeah, environmental sciences. Absolutely. Um, that was, uh, for some reason, I, I didn't major in music, which I probably should have, but, but I decided to do environmental sciences thinking that I would have a career in that. And I actually tried that out. I was, I was actually, I mean, I've always been really passionate about, you know, the environment as well. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I've worked on nature documentaries and, um, from TV shows like, uh, Discovery Channel's Life and BBC's Planet Earth 2. I did some support work on that. And also, um, I worked on a film documentary about uh, the Los Angeles River and, and water issues and stuff. And I actually also worked for the California Coastal Commission, which uh, manages water preservation along the coastline and that sort of thing as well. So yeah, so it's always been something that's interested me. So it's I always love to kind of, you know, take my scoring duties and, and try to find projects that are, you know, that are somehow, you know, tied in with the environment. And yeah. and I think a project especially is, is part of that. Sure. Um, sort of a success story in, in that world. I'm curious then how much of all of the technical things that you do, you know, in terms of working with samples and all the production, how much of that was self-taught then or did you go back to school to learn oh, all of those yeah. things? Yeah, I've, I've had quite a, a roundabout kind of uh, education. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, you know, music has always been a part of me. I started, my family's very musical. I started in music when I was six years old. So, uh, you know, I had a strong education in music. You know, I sang in the San Francisco Boys Chorus when I was a kid. And at the time, they were like the number two uh, boys chorus in the world. And I toured with them and sang in the, in the opera and symphony. And even at summer camp, we did uh, ear training and, and theory training and things like that. But later on, um, even after college, you know, I, I did environmental sciences, but I also did a minor in music for a while. And then after I graduated school, I, um, I studied jazz and then uh, played in, in an Irish folk band for four years professionally. <laughs> and then actually I stopped doing music for a while and I went into uh, IT. I happened to live in San Francisco during the dot-com boom. And I worked for four years 
helping to build websites for a Fortune 500 startup company. Mm -hmm. And then I actually did customer support for them. And I got really interested in how different types of hardware integrated with each other. And I also you know, supported all their tech notes. So I started spending a lot of time with the programmers and developers of the software and, and, you know, and, and putting systems together and that kind of thing. And, and so, so I, you know, I started to see where my interests were. And, and I kind of saw the next logical step in my IT career is learning how to program computers. And right around that time, I also started seeing the logical next step is getting out of that industry and, <laughs> and doing something that I actually really, you know, was more passionate about. So, sure. so as I started to search around, I discovered that uh, a music technology degree would be a really interesting thing to pursue. And, uh, you know, my original thought was maybe I'll program, you know, DSP um, plugins or something for, you know, for DigiDesign or Pro Tools or something like that. And so I, I, I got, I ended up quitting my job and I went down to CalArts and here in Southern California for a year and uh, and just started to you know see this whole world open up in in music and uh, and technology and and I would say it was really confusing for a while because part of me wanted to drop everything and just be a jazz guitarist and study that another part of me was you know starting to learn about signal processing I studied with Tom Erb who um, built this wonderful software called Soundhack and he was showing us code on how to make reverbs and filters and all kinds of really you know technical logical, um, you know, nerdy music stuff. And so I was seeing it from that angle also. And and somewhere in there, I discovered film scoring. And that also became kind of, you know, a, a passion that I started to pursue. So I eventually went to NYU for two years and did a master's degree in music technology. And, and even my first year there did all computer programming. And then my next year did all composing. And, mm -hmm. and it all just started from there. And even as a my early days as a composer, I think the first thing that I did was because I wasn't so much on the music side and so much more involved in the technology, I just jumped right into like processing sounds and and really working as like a creative sound designer, I would say. It, but, you know, not for a sound design in a typical um, sense of footsteps or something. It was more about, uh, you know, how can I take musical sounds and build like an emotional experience out of, you know, music concrete, for instance, or combining different sounds or taking like a three second sound and turning it into like a one hour sound stretched out and then building a soundtrack around that. And that was really the logical progression. And then I decided to move to Los Angeles to be a composer, really not knowing any idea about what I was getting myself into, wow. but quickly realized that, you know, I also had to have some music chops. So that's when I started to pull from all my past music experiences and realized I had to start playing the piano and listening to film music and starting to understand a little bit more about, you know, what the parameters of a, of a film score and eventually a, a game music score were going to be. that I got out of all of this was, and from talking to other people, is the first thing you have to do is get committed to what you want to, where you want to go and what you want to do. And I, and, I, and for me, that was the big step, was committing myself 100% and saying, this is what I'm going to do. And as soon as I did that, I made that first priority so that whatever else came along, I always made, you know, I, I would never let something get in the way of me continuing to learn how or to pursue being a composer. Thank you.
the VR aspect of this, uh, of Away, affect the way you composed? I would say maybe not as much as, as I had originally thought. I, uh, you know, I also worked as audio director and oversaw the sound effects and implementation of the project. And we handled a lot of the, the spaciousness and the spatiality of the experience, um, the dynamicism of the experience in terms of a, you know, a, a, a spatial perspective with the sound effects. It was really about, you know, if there was a tree that you were going to fly by, it was really the sound effects that would be sort of a handle that would notice how far you were away, either from the ground or the trees or, or other elements that you would, um, you know, be interacting with in the environment. But the, you know, the music, you know, we really wanted the music to to really be featured as a, um, as kind of an emotional backdrop or something to elevate the experience on emotional level. And I think that, you know, if the music was doing too much in terms of uh, of the mix or changing or, or, or having little things in the back of your head or moving around in the mix, I think that would have really distracted the player from the believability of the experience. So sure. I certainly approached it much more the way I would, you know, a film or TV score in this sense. And then then it was a matter of just making sure that the music could change with the experience. So if the player was flying more slowly through the experience, which was basically a linear experience, um, if they were flying more slowly or more quickly, then the music could uh, could sort of lengthen itself out or also you know be shorter as well. Well, it's lovely, and I'm so excited that you're still working on it and there's more to come. So as that happens, we should check in. Yes, let's do it. I will definitely be in touch. I would love to. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. It was really great to speak with you again. Thank you, Emily. I really appreciate it. And you too. It's really nice to connect. You can learn more about Mike Rasnick at MikeRasnick.com and see a partial playlist at Patreon.com slash level. I say partial because the music for Away isn't named or available yet, but the music from Infinite is, so I have those in order of appearance or sounding in a playlist at Patreon.com slash level. So this brand new content that's coming for patrons, we want to give you more. So each week, you'll get one extra podcast of varying length. In it, either myself or Sam or a featured guest will share five of our favorite songs. And this might be video game music. It might not. We will talk about all kinds of genres as we see fit. And our first sharing comes tomorrow. And we look forward to talking even more about music with you. So tomorrow, Friday, I think that would be like the 30th of June, perhaps. That's when uh, patrons will get another podcast called Five Songs. Exclusive content just for those who are able and or willing to support us. And check out our new website brought to us by Adam Selvage and Brad Gentle. Seriously, incredibly grateful to those two for all their hard work putting together the new site, levelwithemily.com. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Yeah, hi. 
You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media.